I'd like this morning to take your attention to a passage of Scripture in John chapter 8. Something that interests each of us. John chapter 8 and verse 36. It's a familiar verse. I'm going to use, I'd like to use this as a text verse. Notice what the scripture says to us in this passage. John 8, 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. The quest for freedom is a part of every human's desire. Understanding what real freedom is, sadly, is lacking. The natural man believes that being free is to be, in general, without rules, restraint, or not having anyone setting any parameters for conduct. In other words, being able to make our own decisions and uh, do what we believe is right, which is really the foundation of what we call humanism. And the, her- and the heresy of that, of course, is it's against Scripture. So it is making all my own decisions and not allowing anyone to tell me what to do. In general, human nature says that, that would be freedom. I know this is, that's a generalized statement, but I think it's really the core of, the, of that understanding or that attitude. It is, but that is an illusion. Because it only brings a person into the cruel bondage of his own self-destructive nature. And that's one thing, you know, we can see it, and I know we believe this, but I think it's, as I was studying for this message, I, I was thinking how often I, in my own life I crossed this line. And I'd like you to think about it each of you this morning here and our own, you know, your own life personally. While we are here as, as Christian people and believe in surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and all of that, but I wonder sometimes, do we really understand where our freedom lies? And how easy it is for us to cross some lines. And we're going to get to the practical area later, Lord willing, in this message, but... To understand the premise here for freedom is very important. And it is why there are so many people today who are in bondage and enslaved, bound in chains, not literally, but figuratively, and struggling to find freedom. And at times even even expressing the fact that they are free. When someone looking on would say, how can you honestly believe that? Now, this is not only out there in the world. It is, of course, rampant in the world. Or with those living outside of faith in Christ. But as I said, too often, I believe, we see it, you know, from this passage this morning, we're going to see it also, you know, for those 
in various kinds of bondage that can be among God's people, where you and I can become entrapped in this in the wrong search for freedom. Now, I'd like to read the surrounding verses here to get the setting of this. There's a lot of interesting things said in the context of this scripture. Jesus is, is in this chapter in a discussion with the Jewish leaders and others who were listening to him about who he really was as a person. Now, John chapter 8 and verse, we're going to begin at verse 30. And as he spake these words, and this is in relation to the Son of Man, verse 28, being lifted up, he said, And then shall you know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie... He speaketh it of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe not on me. Ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because... You are not of God. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. They were rejecting him and the truth that he was teaching. And they were just standing against it, resisting it, what he was saying. But here in verse 31, 
he addresses those that did believe in him. So we notice that Jesus said, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you, or then are you my disciples indeed. And so the reason I, I would say, if you look at this passage on the rebellion against Christ, the reason there are rebels is because there is an inherent quest for freedom in the human heart. And outside of Christ, it is always thought to be a reality where there is no restraint. We talked about that. No rules, no restraint, no prohibitions to do whatever we want to do. I didn't look it up. I should have probably just thought of it now. But, you know, back in um, was the 1960s, I'm not quite sure of the dates. But when the uh, New York City Police Department went on strike, and I think it was, was it 24 hours or something, went on strike, there was no police on the streets. So there was a sense of freedom, right? If you look that up and read that history, it was awful. Freedom to do evil. Freedom without restraint. Uh, murders and the burglary and the muggings and the... It was terrible. But that's the delusion of the human heart in relation to freedom. And so often it is thought that freedom is living without law. Now it is interesting in this verse, our text verse, verse 36, Jesus said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed, which immediately brings to focus the fact that there is a choice. If, there's a contrast here, with other forms of supposed freedom. And so Jesus is saying, if you make this choice, if this happens in your life, that the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You will find true, lasting freedom. And so there's a choice involved. And of course, it involves a right choice. Now, I'd like to look at a few things or reasons for this struggle for freedom. Why is it this struggle for freedom? It's in in each of us, in one way or another. Well, first of all, the human quest for independence and freedom is connected to free will. But in free will, it is interesting, the way God made us, and we understand free will, there are still boundaries or parameters because free will in the, in the relation to how God created us with free will is not the equivalent of sovereignty. So while we have free will and God created us that way, that does not make us sovereign. Only God is sovereign. And in human free will, the way God created us, we can only choose from among, we can say the options or consequences that God and his sovereignty has established. Because we can make choices, but we seldom have control over the outcome of those choices because of the laws that God has established. So let me explain further. 
The simple law of sowing and reaping in the scripture would illustrate this point. And, you know, that God is sovereign. He has established and given us free will. But in the law of sowing and reaping, it illustrates this principle. In other words, we can choose the seeds we plant. But the harvest is never a matter of question. See? God says, this is the harvest that you're going to reap for this seed. In free will, we can choose the seed, but God chooses the harvest. So free will does not, is not the equivalent of sovereignty. God is sovereign in those things. And that's why he says, be careful what you, what you choose. Be careful of the seeds you plant and that choice you make. Because I have established the harvest. Now, the whole story of, of fallen humanity really is, is in this whole thing. goes right back to the Garden of Eden. But the whole idea is that somehow we can make a decision in free will, plant a certain seed, and somehow we're going to bypass the harvest. Or somehow the harvest is not going to happen. It's a delusion for many people that somehow they can harvest something different than that which they plant. It's really a wrong understanding of, of the whole aspect of free will and, of course, the search for freedom. Secondly, every time mankind gets in trouble for choosing wrong, it's because of unbelief. In one level or another, it's always because of unbelief. This ties into what we just talked about in relation to sowing and reaping. It's unbelief to say that somehow there's going to be a different harvest or I can somehow escape this harvest even though I choose to plant this seed. Of all the freedom, just imagine with me a little bit, of all the freedom that Adam and Eve had in that beautiful, perfect Garden of Eden, could eat of every single tree, enjoy every taste, every flavor of that garden. It was given to them to enjoy. And enjoy all the breathtaking beauty that their senses could indulge. And there was really only one thing, one tree that God said, don't eat of it, don't even touch it. All the rest you can have. We say, well, that, that, that's, a good, that's a good deal. We can make that work. That's... Freedom, right? But in the exercise of their free will, to eat or not to eat, and remember, God had already established the consequence because he said, if you do do this, this is what's going to happen. So here's the reaping if you break my, my, my rule, my law. But in the exercise of their free will, they chose to use their freedom to take away their freedom. And mankind is, done, is doing it over and over and over again. 
Use the freedom that God has given in free will to take away your freedom. It happens to us. We may get to it later, but I think this thing of bitterness was in our Sunday school lesson. Hebrews talks about not allowing that root of bitterness to spring up among you, whereby many be defiled. Somehow think that the seed of bitterness will not have a reaping. Just an illustration of this. Do you think that they ever thought, Adam and Eve, do you think they ever thought about all the liberty and the freedom that they had when they were truly free? And not free just because there was that tree of good and evil that they were not to partake of, but really God was God wanted to keep them in their freedom by saying, don't partake of that tree. God wasn't trying to restrict them and make their life miserable. He was trying to protect them from the very thing that was going to bring them into bondage. And that's freedom, isn't it? To say, you know, your little child, you know, they're headed toward the hot stove and you rescue them before they touch it. You're, you're, not, you're not curtailing their freedom. You're trying to protect their freedom. Is it going to be freedom if they end up in the burn unit in the hospital for six weeks? Is that freedom? Because they were able to touch the stove. But the human mind doesn't calculate it right. In our fallen senses. I suspect that Adam and Eve looked back and thought many times about that beautiful Garden of Eden and what it was like when they had all the freedom they could enjoy. Especially out there under the sweat and heat from the sun hoeing thistles. This quest for freedom I believe was it was God given or given by God as a means to cause us to seek him. But in the fallen state that has gotten distorted. Acts 17, 26 and 27 there says, There as Paul was preaching, Mars Hill, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Why did he do that? That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Why did God set those boundaries in the earth? He's appointed their time and the bounds of their habitation for one purpose. A man would seek the Lord and feel after him and find him. That's what God wants in giving us that power of choice and that freedom. What is, where is true personal freedom found? I'd like to think for a little bit about this, especially from this passage now. Where is true personal freedom found? Verse 32. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To summarize that, we would say, there must always be a transparent honesty with truth. 
Very simple truth. Very, very simple. There must always be a transparent honesty with truth. If you know the truth, then the truth is going to set you free. We must seek the knowledge of truth, which is in Jesus himself. We are, as a Christian this morning, each of us sitting here as a child of God, we must be committed truth seekers. While we believe we understand some truth, we have truth, we understand it, we read the scriptures, we study, we work together in relation to Bible study and all of that, and that's good. But throughout our lives, we are going to always be committed truth seekers. In other words, that, that moving forward in the light of what God has revealed to us, and also through his Holy Spirit within us, that we are, we are searching for truth. Not that we haven't found it, but that we know that there's more to find. God is not done with us. And we're on a spiritual journey, and he wants to lead us and direct us and guide us. To me, that, that's beautiful. We must be committed to that. None of us know it all yet. We, there's just so, so much more to learn and so much more to dig out of the scriptures and to apply to our lives. You know, in the times in which we live and, and the chaos that's in the world and all the things that are happening, you know, what does, what does God say to us today? What is his truth for us now in 2023? You see, we're, we're seekers of truth. There must always be a transparent honesty with the truth. Truth about who God is. That's where you must, we must start always in relation to truth. Is what God has said about himself and revealed to us, is it true? You must accept that. Once that is in place, then we must look at the truth about the condition of the human heart. In other words, we must look at ourselves and say, okay, in light of what God is, as a God of all truth, what is it revealed to, about me, my heart? What is the truth about this person? You. Your heart. That is also a level of transparency and honest seeking of truth. Now, it also means the truth about what we really are and what's going on inside this heart of mine. That also involves, you know, the, the, the seeking of truth. And that's the only way a person comes to the experience of the new birth. That's the only way we, we find that God will deal with us in mercy and forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation is when we take an honest look at ourselves and realize the truth about what this, this person really is, inside and out. God knows that. Remember, his word is like a two-edged sword. It can slice right through us, slice, as we say sometimes, slice and dice. Inside and out, he knows exactly what's going on in here. And if we're going to do business with God and find spiritual freedom, there's going to be a transparent honesty, however painful that is. God doesn't worry about the pain when it comes to getting right with him. Because that pain is only involved 
on our side of the crucifixion of self. It is only truth that sets us free. Now, inherent also in the in our fallen nature is the impulse to run and hide from truth. What happened when Adam and Eve faced truth? They ran and hid among the trees of the garden. They tried to make themselves aprons to cover their nakedness because they were exposed because truth was in front of them or truth was looking for them in the garden and asked them where they were. There'll be a lot of illustrations of this in the scriptures. If you want an interesting Bible study, just go through the scriptures and, and look at how people related to the exposure of truth to them. It's very interesting. I'll just give you a few easy ones. I talked about Adam and Eve hiding. What did Jonah do when he faced truth? He ran fast as hard as he could. Long way down there, the Tarshish. But he made it there in time to get on that ship that was going an op- the opposite direction. He didn't want to face truth. But he still had to face truth, right? He just sure took a hard way around to get there. What did Judas do when he faced the truth? He hanged himself. Jesus said in John 3, just back up here, John chapter 3, verse 19. Very clear scripture, what we're talking about. This is the condemnation, John three nineteen. This is the condemnation, that light. And we could say, we could put the word truth in there, because Jesus Christ is truth. Light, truth, is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, notice that, he that doeth truth, I'm not sure what all that means, that'd be another whole subject probably. Are we doing truth? But he that doeth truth, Cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So the honest seeker of truth is willing to face the light of God, the light of truth, and have all that revealed. I think with this it also includes... And maybe this relates back to our Sunday school lesson too, but in Ephesians, Paul says, speaking the truth in love. Now, I think this goes both ways. We have a responsibility in brotherhood, like we talked about in brotherhood communications this morning, but we have the responsibility to to speak the truth in love. Because sometimes the truth can be a little prickly. I think Brother Nathan said that you know, it's times, you know, to go and tell somebody or talk to somebody, it's like, I don't want to do that. We don't, it's hard sometimes to go sit down with somebody and tell them the truth. But do we owe it to them if we love them? 
We owe it to them, right? To in love, go do it. Believing that they want to know the truth too. And there's been times in my life where I've asked a brother, or maybe my wife, you know, like, you know, what is the truth about this with me? I want to know the truth. Usually when we get to that point, we prepare our minds to hear what they have to say. But sometimes when I've gone to people thinking that they would want to know the truth, or people have come to me thinking that maybe I want to know the truth, I wasn't in the mood that they'd hear the truth. You ever, you ever find that in your life? And somehow the whole thing just goes sideways. And so I think there is a time and place how to do it. But what I'm saying is, if someone comes and asks you about something, don't beat around the bush. Be kind about it, but speak the truth. That's what God wants us. That's what Jesus did. In kindness and in mercy, to say the truth. And you know how it is, easy to somehow just kind of skirt around it and, well, you know, it wasn't really that bad. No, I didn't really feel too bad, but, you know, just, you know. And you can, all kinds of things you can, let's just be kind and speak the truth. And then, of course, the other side of that is to be willing to accept the truth. If we're really honest with ourselves, yes, maybe our reactions sometimes are a little bit prickly, you know, it didn't really settle very well. But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe we need to go back and say, you know, brother, you were right. That was true. That was the way it was. All right, now, uh, verse 33 here. Those in bondage are often deceived and think they are free. Notice what their reply was. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? This is a counterfeit freedom. So they were saying, How can you dare say that, that we're in bondage? Have we ever reacted like that when somebody came to us? You know, say, How dare you say that? That was their reaction. You've heard me say this many times over the years. Human nature is very predictable. He stepped on their toes. He got a reaction. He told them the truth. And he said, we're Abraham's seed. Really? Jesus wanted to tell them that you're not. I'm sorry, you're not. Abraham's not your father. Your father's the devil, actually. I counterfeit freedom. They were in bondage to their false sense of security in being a biological descendant of Abraham. And of course, that meant something in the Jewish lineage and that led up to Christ and all of that. But they were secure in that. This is my freedom. I'm, I'm a son of Abraham. What was wrong with that statement? It's just flat not true. Did they forget that they were in bondage in Egypt? Did they forget that they, their, their um, forefathers were in bondage to the Philistines and to the Moabites and, and to Babylon and, and the list could go on? How many times was Israel in bondage over the centuries? And they said, we were never in bondage to anyone. 
deceived in thinking they're free when they're not. Humanity today is no different. There are all kinds of false freedoms that people seek after. And we could seek after. We can be ensnared in this. So let me name a few to illustrate this point. Materialism. The whole idea of, you know, and how many of us have been in this position, if we just had a little bit more money, you know, then we could be happy and be a little more free. Isn't that materialism? Doesn't that just lead us to bondage? No, you know, we'd have to say that we have to believe that those who have been in this position, and of course the greatest example of this is Solomon himself, did it satisfy him? Did he, was, he, was Solomon free? For all he had, he was one of the most miserable men. Miserable kings that ever lived, I think. And you watch, even what happens with our own heart sometimes when maybe things are a little easier than what they used to be financially. Are you really satisfied now? Say, okay, that's enough now. I just don't need any more. It's always that. And when we have more money or others have more money, they all of a sudden they do, you could say, as we say, strike it rich. They're more in bondage than ever to seek more. One thing that is, I've thought of a few times over the years, some of these people in the world who have, are very, very wealthy, um, why do they keep on, you know, you say, well, why wouldn't you just, you know, retire or, or just stop and maybe help, help other people or do do good things rather than just keep on, just keep on slaving away. Pleasure. A nicer place to, for vacation or, you know, more, some people it's more time for fishing or sports or find a better ski hill or whatever it is. The pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake is bondage. I'm not saying there's no time for recreation. But the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake is bondage. And that's why there's so many people in bondage. Think about some of these supposed celebrities in the eyes of the world. You say who have arrived, they have it all. They have some fame, they have money, you know, and they're they're wealthy, they have supposed friends, they're successful. And they go out and commit suicide. Why? They do not find any freedom in any of those things. Their life is empty. People look for freedom in all the wrong places. People in the name of freedom go out and shoot up with drugs. Or they will drink alcohol and get drunk in the name of freedom. Sacrifice family relationships for, for money or wealth or pleasure in the name of freedom will protest and fight the government in the name of freedom, will sacrifice morals in the name of freedom, will search long and far for a church that gives the freedoms they want for themselves. I thought of a friend some years ago told me, he said, he wants to find a church that doesn't have any rules. 
you know, a good scriptural church, but doesn't have any rules. Because then he said, I'd never bump into anything that I can't do. But that's not freedom. Or, in the name of freedom, like the prodigal, leave home, get out from underneath dad's rules in the name of freedom. It happens over and over again. The story of the prodigal just keeps repeating itself. In the name of freedom, they end up in the pig pen. It's sad, but it's that quest, that search for freedom. Thirdly, rebellion against the truth is bondage. Verse 40, Jesus said, But now ye seek to kill me, a man who hath, that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Rebellion against truth is bondage. They wanted to kill the very reality of truth. And eventually they did. Would we ever do this? We say, of course not. But how do you feel toward the person, or I feel toward the person who tells me or tells you the honest truth about a situation? Do we get all offended? Do we feel really bad toward that person? But they told you the truth. They told me the truth. You see what happens here? Jesus said, you're actually going about behind my back. You actually are plotting to kill me because I've told you the truth. How have you felt toward the person that has exposed your wrongdoing, my wrongdoing? Do you or I ever get or feel upset at that person? Because of the truth. You know, that comes close home. It comes close home to me. Because you can feel, you know, remember um, the other day, a man at work told me, I don't want to be a tattletale, so I'm not going to say anything. But what about in brotherhood relationships? What about in family relationships? Can we take that attitude? You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna tell, I'm not gonna that that's bondage. And also even and of course toward ourselves and how we feel. Have you ever tried or thought about slandering the person who revealed truth, the truth about us? I've seen that happen. Where the where a person turns and attacks the person that has said the truth. Notice verse 41. Jesus told them, Ye do the deeds of your father. And what did they say to him? We be not born of fornication. They were throwing it right back in his face and saying, well, you were born of fornication. We're better than that. Slandering the person that revealed the truth. Jesus said to them, if God... Um, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. In other words, I wasn't born in fornication. I came from God himself. And so you think about this. 
We talked about a little bit in our Sunday school lesson this morning, not rendering evil for evil in the brotherhood relationships that would involve this in relation to our love for the truth. And so what is our attitude toward truth? Is, there, is that any different than the Jewish leaders here and their attitudes toward Jesus? You know, when we respond wrong, when truth is revealed? Jesus had truthful words for them. And I referred to this earlier in verse 44. Jesus said, Ye are of your father, the devil. That's your father. And because that's your father, the lusts of your father ye will do. True freedom will cause us to accept the truth no matter how hurtful it may seem to be. And that can be a struggle, I admit that. But I think it is true if we honestly desire to know the truth, especially as it relates to ourselves, no matter how hurtful it may seem to be. Remember, there's always that tendency to attack the messenger, to attack the person that said it, the person that, um, that comes to us. And because we don't really... You know, maybe they didn't, we don't think they said it right or, you know, they didn't word it right or they weren't, you know, whatever it is. You know, we can, we can attack the person that says it. Let's be careful in that. Let's watch our attitudes because it can, be, can mean that we do not love the truth and we are not free with the truth. So what are you doing with truth this morning? Are you hiding? Are you running? Are you deceiving yourself, myself? Where do we find freedom? True freedom will always be found in surrender at the foot of the cross. Always. Bring it to Jesus. Our selfish ambitions, maybe that twinge of jealousy or that thought of covetousness, Negative attitudes, peer pressure, bitterness, rebellion against authority, protecting my rights, in quotes, materialism, pleasure-seeking, sensual and sexual sins, hurts and pain and sorrow and grief, fears, anxieties, pride, fashion, style, worldliness, whatever it is, that may be holding us in a form of bondage. We need to bring that to the foot of the cross. There, that surrender is where freedom is found. In our travels recently, we, my wife and I were listening to an audio Pilgrim's Progress. It's been a few years, quite a few years since I had read that book. But to think of the freedom that Pilgrim found when that load of guilt was cut from his back. And that weight rolled away at the cross. We can bring it to the cross and there find that freedom and deliverance. Only in personal surrender to Jesus Christ will a person find true freedom. All other pursuits for freedom will always end in bondage. Always. Let's continue to convince ourselves of that from the scriptures. I'd like to close with the words of a song. Maybe we could even sing this for a closing song. Number 478. 
I'll just read the words now. Is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden bearing, all your anxiety, leave it there. No other friend so keen to help you, no other friend so quick to hear, no other place to leave your burden, no other one to hear your prayer. Come then at once, delay no longer, heed his entreaty, kind and sweet. You need not fear a a disappointment. You shall find peace at the mercy seat. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. This morning, may we be real seekers of the truth and not content ourselves with any artificial, as it were, freedoms that the devil is offering us. To refuse that, but only seek it through Jesus Christ alone and then we'll be truly free. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we know and believe this morning that you have our best interest on your heart. You've loved us with an everlasting love. You sacrificed your son in order to save us, which shows your goodness and your love to us. Father, we know that the devil has been in the business ever since the fall in offering other ways, as it were, other paths to freedom. But we know, Father, it is always bondage. There is only one way through Jesus Christ that we can truly be free. And so this morning we just pray you would bless us with that keen sense of vision and reality of of what it means to be your, your children and to be sure that we are not pursuing any other avenues to find any freedom that would destroy us and bring us into bondage and slavery, that we can truly be free in our love relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, you know what each of us are struggling with in our lives, you know our hearts. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit continue to speak to each of our hearts to help us to understand ourselves and what we need to do to continue in this path of righteousness and truth that each of us would faithfully seek the truth with all our heart, be totally transparent with ourselves and with you and our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we could find that eternal purpose worked out in each of our lives. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.